So this is uh, Name That Tune. Okay, if you can name this tune, if you can name this tune, you got to yell it out. Okay, just sing it right. I'm just going to hum it. La 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 la. La 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 la. La 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 la. La 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 la. Anyone? Yeah! Come gather around people wherever you roam. Admit that the waters around you have grown and accepted that soon you'll be drenched to the bone. If your time for you is worth saving, then you'd better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone for the times. They are a changing. Come gather around people wherever you roam and admit that the waters around you have grown and accept it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone time that is worth saving then you'd better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone for the times they are a changing Bob Dylan change is all around us just Get up in the morning, and whatever you think the day may hold, it's going to change. All the time. All the time. <laughs> That's right. There are lots of sin. You've got a Roger's thesaurus. Uh, you know, you'll see lots of um, words for change: adjustment, advance, development, difference, diversity, innovation, modification, reversal, revision, revolution, shift. Switch, transformation, transition, variation, about face, addition, break, comprehension, compression, contraction, conversion. It goes on and on. Stories about change. And of course, we know that change can be good and change can be bad. But I want to focus your attention on change that is good and that directs us towards the resurrection power of God in Christ, through the Spirit. We resist change. I mean, no one wants to go home at night to a new address every night. I mean, imagine that. We're home. We want home to be home. I know that for the last, how many years, Nancy? <laughs> Probably 25, 30 years, 36, 40 Pacemore Avenue has been home. I want that to be home, you know. Uh, that's fine. But change happens. Look at your kids. How many children have not changed over the last year? They've all changed. It's massive. I have now an 11-year-old grandson and an 8-year-old grandson. They just celebrated their birthdays in March, and I thought, whoa, where did those 11, 8 years go? My oldest daughter, Bronwyn, is going to be 40 this year. 40! That's insane! I'm not old enough to have a 40-year-old. That's just nuts! That's crazy! Oh, help me, God! <laughs> I'm getting old! I'm changing! <laughs> oh. You know, the children of Israel, when they left Egypt, and they went into the wilderness... Uh, they left behind a lot of stability. Now, you would think that slaves, after, after 400 years of slavery, you would think 
that they would say, wow, this is great. No more whips, no more mud, no more bricks, and no more work. We're just, wow, in the wilderness. Well, hold the phone. Where's the food? Well, there's no food out here. Well, where's the water? There's no water out here either. Um, Well, how about leeks? Nope, no leeks. Garlic? No garlic. Cucumbers? Nope, no cucumbers. Oh, man. And they remembered the fish they ate in Egypt at no cost. And also the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. I love garlic. Nancy doesn't like garlic. I love garlic. Numbers 11.5. But God changed their minds and hearts by providing manna from heaven and water from the rock, which was Christ. And my view and what I want to convey to you today is that inherent in creation is everything that is in a constant state of change. It seems as though God has built change right into his creation. You don't have to look very far in creation to see a constant state of change. Humans are born, we get old, all living things, whether the animal, vegetable, even mineral, go through change. The inanimate things like mountains, seas, ice, minerals, all that undergoes change. Mountains are created, they sometimes shrink, They sometimes get taller. And much of the change that we see around us is simply miraculous. Consider the way in which our food comes to us. Whether you are a meat eater or a vegan, the creation of food is absolutely quite magical. Plants take up nourishment from the soil. They go through a process of photosynthesis, and uh, they create leaves, And as we heard from this beautiful poem this morning, photosynthesis is what is this amazing process that plants go through and they take up carbon dioxide and release oxygen. Without them, we all die. The fact is that we're born to change. We're born into a, a world of change. In fact, dare I say it, we experience resurrection of life almost on a daily basis. We've just come through this amazing time of the year called Easter. Seeds die. They go into the ground. And they produce food. Sometimes they produce amazing, huge trees. When I immigrated from, from New Zealand to Canada, I was astounded that anything could survive this weather. <laughs> I remember in my first year uh, as a lawyer, I was sent by my boss up to Whitehorse. Has anyone been to Whitehorse? Oh, wow. Cool. It's cold up there. It was January. And um, I had, uh, I had a, a fairly light jacket on, I had my little briefcase, and I was going up there simply to file some documents at the courthouse in Whitehorse. The plane got diverted to Watson Lake. If you've been to Watson Lake, <clears throat> it's a pond. And there were three jets on the runway that day, and Watson Lake is seven hours by bus from Whitehorse. 
which I took that night because you couldn't land in Whitehorse because of the weather. It was freezing. I was up there in, in January and I thought, everything's dead. I mean, the, it's really dead. But you know what? When spring came, what happened? It grew. Where did, where did this grass come from? It was dead. Where did these flowers come from? They were dead. And yet it was like this new life just came up. And it was a miracle to me that anything could survive that winter. Hey, presto, buds, blossoms, all happened. Last night, I got a call from uh, a man up in Vernon who suffers from deep depression and anxiety. And he was on his first iPhone. And uh, he, he had just bought a guitar and he wanted to share it with me. And uh, he was overjoyed with this miracle of the iPhone. It is a miracle, isn't it? That you can actually communicate with people around the world on that device. Well, there are seven miracles recorded in the Gospel of John. I'm going to tell you what they are. And we're going to look at, one of the, we're going to look at the first miracle today. And the miracles are, the first one, turning water into wine. The second miracle, the healing of an official son in Capernaum. The third one, healing an invalid at the pool of Bethsaida in Jerusalem. The fourth one, feeding 5,000 near the Sea of Galilee. The uh, fifth one, walking on the water in the Sea of Galilee. The uh, sixth one, healing a blind man in Jerusalem. And the last one, raising Lazarus from the dead in Bethany. And these, John says, are all signs that Jesus is the Christ and they are designed to invoke in you and to inspire in us belief. They're all signs that should bring in us belief and faith in the living Jesus. So what is the story of Jesus turning water into wine all about? <clears throat> Phil, if you could just put that up on there. Let me just get it in my scripture here. John chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. I'm going to take it just a little slow here. Third day, what does that remind you of? The resurrection. Yeah, brilliant. But in fact, what had happened here, if you go back earlier in the, in the section just before that, Jesus had been interviewing Nathaniel as a disciple. And it, likely, it looks like it had taken about, not all the three days, but over three days they had been talking. And you know what Jesus said about Nathaniel? He said, Behold a man in whom there is no, no, no guile, no deceit. No deceit. No duplicity, no double talk, no, well, maybe this, maybe that, maybe the next thing. Nathaniel was as straight as an arrow when it came to dealing with Jesus in that interview. 
And then the, it says on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. It's interesting. In the Gospel of John, you never see Mary, the mother of Jesus, mentioned as Mary. She's always called the mother of Jesus. And that's probably because John is honoring her high status. And then in verse 2, it says, Jesus also was invited to the wedding with the disciples. Now, at this point, nowhere in John do you have a list of all the disciples. You have indications of a call, but John does not, like Matthew and Luke, give the list of the disciples. He just calls them the disciples. So here's a wedding. Mary's there. Jesus is invited, but you know what it's like when 12 extra people show up for dinner. It's a little extra, you know? I mean, whoa, where did these guys come from? Well, they're my friends. Well, they all come, and they're all there. And so when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And right there I see a woman of faith. Mary knows her son, and she has this unique ability to say, yeah, he has the ability, and I'm going to take a risk here. I'm going to take a chance, and I'm going to ask him to do something about it. She is a woman of faith, and she knows her son, and she knows that he has the ability to fix this problem. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now let me be very clear. Jesus is not being rude or disrespectful to his mother. When Jesus is on the cross, he says, Woman, behold your son. He's not being disrespectful then, and he's not being disrespectful now. What he's saying, in some versions it says, dear woman, softens it down a bit, doesn't it, when he's putting that little word dear in there. He's speaking to her affectionately. And this little phrase, which he says, what does this have to do with me? Is a, is a, is my, and he says, my hour is not yet come. But the, the phrase, what does this have to do with me, is like an idiom. It's a little saying in Greek, which is uh, as, as though it's to say, this is not for me to fix right now. This is not for you to tell me what to do right now. Dear woman, I appreciate all that you think I can do, but it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work by you telling me what to do. That's not how this works. I have to listen to my Father because my almighty power, my incredible power, is governed by the will of the Father. The Father tells me what to do, when to do it, and who to do it to. Not you, and actually not any human being on this planet. The only person that can tell me what to do in this moment of time is my heavenly Father. And this is what we refer to as a, uh, a limitation by the divine on the almighty power 
of the divine on earth. Do you understand what that means? That Jesus could have done anything at any time in his own power, but he doesn't. He limits his power to the divine will of his Father. And that's a very, very important principle to understand. Because people say, well, can't just, if Jesus was God, he could just do anything. That's true. But he limits his power to do that in this moment. And, and then he adds this little phrase, my hour has not yet come. Now this probably refers to his passion and his resurrection. In other words, only God can tell me, Jesus, when is the moment of time when I should die for the sins of the world and the moment of time when I should be resurrected. And that's what he says. And she kind of backs off a bit and says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Can you hear Mary saying that to you and me, to us? Do whatever he tells you. Wow. If we behave like that, how different would the world be? If we behaved as she instructed the servants here, how different would our little world be? Even the world at work, at home, wherever we are. And so his mother said, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification. What's that? Well, before and after meals, the Jews would wash. And these water jars were water, contained water which, for, which was for purification so that they would be clean on the outside. Clean hands, sometimes clean feet, but certainly clean hands before they eat. And so these water jars were massive. It's, we're told here there were six of them. There were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification. It's a wedding. You need to wash before and after you eat, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Now, by my computation, that's 408, between 480 and 720 liters of water. Now, that's quite a vineyard. That's a lot of wine because all that water gets converted into wine. That's a huge amount of water just the sheer quantity. And he says, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim, and he said to them, now draw some water out and take it to the master of the feast. So Jesus comes to them and creates this amazing moment. And the, the emphasis here is not on the quantity, as I've emphasized, but on the excellence and the quality of the wine. What's the point? Well, I believe the point is, is that Jesus is presenting himself in this first sign of, him, of his miraculous power and of his, uh, the beginning of his ministry as being the well of the water of life. There was an old song we used to sing as a kid, uh, about drawing water out of that deep well. And the well was the well of Christ. And Christ intends us to draw from his well and to drink deeply of him. You see, when you get Christ 
you get the absolute very best. This was the best wine that ever tasted. Nothing could surpass it. When you get Christ, you get the absolute best that God can give. The lesson points to the superiority of the new order over the old. The writer to the Hebrew Christians makes this point very clear in chapter 8. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors. I will write my laws on their hearts and they will not go to each other saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me. And this first sign of Jesus is to establish and encourage belief in Jesus that this is exactly the result of what the prophets had prophesied. And in fact, we are told that all the disciples believed. And if you look at verse, uh, looking at this passage further, so they took it, and when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, when the, uh, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. And after this, they went to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. C.S. Lewis comments on this miracle this way. He says, I contend that in all these miracles alike, so he's talking about not only just this one, but particularly the feeding of the 5,000, the raising of Lazarus. C.S. Lewis says, I contend that in all these miracles, God does suddenly and locally something that God has done or will do in general. Each miracle writes for us in small letters something that God has already, already written or will write in letters almost too large to be noticed across the whole canvas of nature. The earliest of these was the conversion of water to wine at the wedding feast in Cana. This miracle proclaims that the God of all wine is present the vine is, the, is one of the blessings sent by Yahweh. He is the reality behind the false gods. Every year, as part of the natural order, God makes wine. He does so by creating a vegetable organism that can turn, uh, that, that can turn water, soil, and sunlight into a juice which, under proper conditions, becomes wine. Thus, in a certain sense, he constantly turns water into wine, for wine, like all drinks, is but water modified. Once and in one year only, God now incarnate in Jesus, short circuits the whole process, makes wine in a moment, uses earthenware jars instead of a vegetable fiber to hold the water, but uses them to do what he's always been doing. The miracle consists in the shortcut but the event to which it leads is the usual one. And other miracles 
that fall in this class are the two instances of the miraculous feeding and so on, and the, and the conversion of the, f- uh, the bread and the fish. So here's the thing. Jesus turns water into wine in a moment. <clears throat> we look outside and we send vineyards. If you go up the Okanagan Valley, you'll see probably somewhere like 120 vineyards up in the Okanagan Valley. And every, Now, this year is a bad year. You heard that? It's, it's going to be, I'm sorry for all you wine drinkers out there. Next year is going to be pretty short. But... If you go up that valley and you see all those vineyards, all those vines, Nancy had actually put aside a basket for me. Sorry, I didn't bring it. But this little basket was, a, was made, of the, uh, made of, a vine, uh, of the vine. Those vines are converting water to wine every single year. Now, here's the challenge. The resurrection power of Jesus, which is implied in all of this is that every day in your life there is signs of life turning death to life there are signs that God is at work every day around you turning death to life creating life and bringing about life and if we open up our eyes and look around and say, how is it that God is changing my world from death to life? You see, in, in Romans, Paul says, the whole of creation is groaning and waiting for the renewal of all things. A new heaven, a new earth, a new creation. Paul says in Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, you are a new creation. God has taken you, he's infused you with his spirit, and he's made you into something brand new. He took water and does it every day and converts it into wine. He takes a little grain seed of wheat, causes it to die, and converts that into wheat, from which we get flour and bread. This is the amazing activity of God in creation. You see, creation is shouting out every day, hope. It's shouting out redemption every day. Because that redemption encompasses all creation. The Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of renewal, will not rest until all of creation is whole and perfect and beautiful. Amen? That's what's going to happen. The victory song of Romans 8 is that God is for us. Yes, I understand that creation has been wrecked. It's been polluted it's been damaged but even in its damaged condition god says look at my creation it wants to be renewed it wants to be made better it keeps it keeps on giving and when god said at the very beginning 
go forth and multiply, he really meant it. The seas are teeming with fish. The rivers are flowing with fish. If you drive through Saskatchewan, it's incredible the amount of, 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 of grain that is growing there. I mean, Canada is the, well, not the only, but it is one of the major breadbaskets of the world. Just look outside and see what God is doing all around you to shout out, I am the God of the resurrection, I'm the God of renewal, I'm the God of new life, and all of that life I am putting into you by my Spirit. You see, God's miracles turn death to life. They bring life out of death. The whole life of Jesus is a sign acted out every day, and each sign performed by Jesus is the evidence of God's work. And every day God is at work performing miracles all around us. These signs, these miracles, these visible representations of what is invisible and eternal realities are intended to invo invoke and inspire belief in us. The whole of creation is shouting and sometimes we are simply deaf. So here's what I'd like us to do. Start looking at every day. Things, the mundane things, with new eyes. Eyes that see the wonder-working miracles of God. Recover the wonder of a child who is seeing snow for the first time. When you wash your face tonight before you go to bed, think of God washing away the troubles of that day, and he's going to give you a brand new day tomorrow. The sun will rise, signs of a new beginning. God will give you a brand new day to write whatever you want to. When you get up in the morning, thank God that the sun keeps getting up and shining and brings a new day. When you go to work, thank God that you have work to go to and wrap your hands around it and embrace it because you're working not for your boss, but for God. And when you look at your spouse... Remind yourself that this is the relationship which is a picture of Christ and his church. When you hold your kids, remind yourself that these children are God's gift to you. They are signs of new life, resurrected life. Your eyes, your ears, your mouth, your hands, your feet, your hearts, they all need to be opened up to the miracle-working wonder of God that occurs every day. Take nothing for granted. Live life to its fullest by seeing the life-giving power of God throughout the day and every day. It's a new day. It's full of new wine. So drink deeply and enjoy it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these words and for this amazing miracle of Jesus. Help us to embrace this new wine. We thank you for the Holy Spirit, uh, one of the symbols of which is wine. Thank you that the new wine was poured out upon us and that you created this amazing uh, community called the church. So help us, Lord, to embrace our role within the church and to uh, embrace 
uh, the miracles that are around us and to see them and to see you at work in all of creation. And Lord, we look forward to that day when there will be a new heaven, a new earth, and a new cre creation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.